Hear the drums echoing tonight She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation She's coming in 12.30 flight The moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide me towards salvation I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old forgotten words It's about the time that Walt starts going that. Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. Are you gonna start the episode or what? Maybe it's maybe it's a latency, Walt. Welcome everyone to episode 111 of the Light Shed podcast. Richard Greenfield, Walter Pisick, and Brandon Ross on Friday, June 17th, 2022. Hi guys. How was awesome. your flight, Brandon? <laughs> How was my flight? Well, as you can see, I can open my eyes less than I normally can, which is not very much. So I think I'm down to like a half a millimeter with um, with a, not very much sleep last night. You're messaging me that we have a, a lot of latency. It's okay. It's working. All right. For those who don't know, I'm actually in Rwanda right now. I'm in Kigali which is, I think, the capital. I should get, actually, I know it is because I just went on a uh, city tour and saw every fucking embassy that there is on the earth. That's what they do on the city tour? They just take you to embassies? I don't think there's <laughs> much else to do here in Kigali. <laughs> you, you see the embassies? You see the president's home? I don't think he's at, or prime, I don't know what um, his title is. Um they point out some hotels. You get some coffee. The coffee's quite good, and then you go to the genocide memorial, which is which was bring back some coffee beans. Moving. Bring back some coffee beans. So, Brandon, I was noticing. Uh, I could do that. Yeah. On, excuse me, on Rich's microphone, he appears to have gotten some type of cover over his microphone. But in classic for our podcast listeners, in classic classic Rich Greenfield stuff, it 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 clearly was just like hurriedly pushed on. So it's not completely even and covering the mic. It was like, wah, wah, that he put it is on. Is that better, Walter? Is that what better? Is, what is that thing for, Rich? It's sort of like just to soften the tone because my voice, you know, I know you like it when it's sultry and sort of balanced. And so this just sort of takes some of the spikes out of my voice. Well, it definitely changes the shape of the microphone. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it looks like? A Blue Origin rocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. The two of you, the two of you are amazing. Well amazing. Done. Okay, what do we have for our first slide, Rich? Oh, is it perhaps having to do with the economy or inflation? Well, you wait, first of all, we didn't talk about the song, what? Walter. This what? was Stranger what? Things. Oh shit, this you're not right. Just Africa. This yeah. was Stranger Things, which season four is not only the number one show on Netflix. Seasons one, two, three, and four are the top four series on Netflix right now. Something I've never seen 
occur on the service before. Yeah, and we missed that last week too, because we probably should have had as our outro music running up that hill, which was a song from the eighties that, that moved to the top of the, of the playlist. But yes, uh, the, no, the reason we chose this song is because as Brandon mentioned, he's in Africa and I'm like, Oh shit. Well, that's also basically the makeout scene between um, Nancy and uh, who's the, the sports guy, the, the hair dude um, on stranger things, by the way, they, they, it's great music. I mean, eighties throwback stuff. I'm, I'm halfway through season four. It's gotten better. Yeah. Toto's what this is like a Toto. Do they have anything other than this hit? This than Africa? Yes. Do they have, oh, what? I don't know. Exactly. Well, wait a minute. You, you know what? You, you know what? We, we just had a moment here that we've been seeing in the last two weeks. This was what happened to Brandon right there. When I asked him, can you name another song? Is like when, when someone from web three is asked to come up with a, a use case, <laughs> use for, case. Web, for web three and DeFi. Yes, of course they had another hit. Oh, what is that other hit? Uh, yeah, um, humana, humana. I'll get back to you. No, I'll get back to you. Let me, let, me, let me think about it. Oh, that was great. We know of one. We know of at least one other song because remember, Rich played it and thought it was Africa. Rosanna, uh, Rosanna, Rosanna. That's a sorry to. Song? Yeah, that's a good. Song. Yes, that's a good song. Sorry to treat you to my. No, they have a ton of hits. It's just you know, okay. they're songs that were on the radio when we were kids and we can't identify them as being Toto probably. All right. Speaking of music, the first tweet is from Lucas Shaw. Spotify is slowing hiring in light of economic uncertainty. E L D S J A L told employees. That's Daniel. That's for those who don't know. Um, and that comes with a bunch of other layoff tweets. Um, another one from Warner Bros. Discovery to cut as much as 30% of advertising sales force. And one from Bloomberg Crypto breaking Coinbase, the U.S.'s biggest crypto exchange, will lay off 18% of its workforce in another sign of a worsening crypto market downturn. Now, I think you have you know, different reasons for each, for what's going on in each of these, even though they're tied together by the common thread of layoffs. less hiring or no, yeah, layoffs. But can, well, can we just Spotify is a, a layoff, right? They're just, yeah. They're slowing hiring, but can we just slow down? Yeah. Coinbase has over 5,000 employees. Yeah. Well, I mean, no that was, someone made that point this week that's insane right i think someone put it in the context of versus the nyse something like that yeah right it, it's like more than double the employees of the nyse but let's be it honest benefit. the nyse oh. is just it's just a television set at this point i mean what you know, people that work down there are just kind of backdrops to the cnbc set we should give credit where credit is due benedict evans made that comparison friend of the pod <laughs> I, I just said that <laughs> uh, it must be the latency brandon <laughs> oh it's definitely the latency all right so we've established that companies are reacting quickly to the perce perception of a coming recession what else do we have on the economic front rich well we've got sort of the what i would say is sort of one of the more uh, by the ironic. way not to jump in but one of those things had nothing to do with the recession at all if there was a merger and there's a lot of duplicative positions, there was 
a number put out for synergies that they're trying to meet. So it absolutely has nothing to do with the economy. That's a fair point. Well, it it might not not have to do with the economy, but it's just another company that's firing a lot of people that, you know, it's going to contribute. But obviously those 30% of that random company is not going to move the needle in and of itself in terms of the economy. I'm curious to see where unemployment kind of, you know, ends up uh, in the middle of this, um, of this downturn, given the very, very um, low percentage of unemployment that we're starting at, and whether or not those who voluntarily took themselves out of the workforce are going to decide, oh, wait a minute, prices are up, and I just lost all my crypto, I need a job now. So like, how many of those people decide that that they need to come back? It, right. It'll be interesting to kind of see how the employment angle of this whole thing um, plays out. Um, but, you know, rates coming up quick. I'm, you know, uh, should have bought that apartment like, I don't know, two years ago, but whatever. I think we told you that. I know. Whatever. Well, that's we have, a, we, we have a we have to give credit where credit is due. We always like honesty and we find most people are not terribly honest when they speak publicly. And so it was very nice and refreshing to hear loyal podcast listener, Jeff Shell, who runs NBC Universal, who said this friend, week of, the podcast. A, friend of the podcast, Jeff Shell, that that when he was asked about the ad market, said it's definitely weaker than it was last week, last month and last year. And remember, that is essentially four weeks after Omnicom and you know WPP and several other ad agencies got up at similar conferences, investor conferences, and said, everything looks fine. They're not seeing any weaknesses. All is fine. And you know, obviously, Snapchat's come out and said things are slowing. We've heard sort of the connected TV ad marketplace is you know, slowing yeah. rapidly. Sort of every data point you and I have heard, Brandon, when we're yeah. on the West Coast, is ad market is weakening. And now you're seeing the TV companies, you know, they weren't the first to see it, but they're certainly starting to see that pressure over the course of the last few weeks. It's on a lag like I am to you guys on this podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> We've said it like 20 times now. There, It started with um, direct response programmatic. Then it got to connected TV and that it was obviously going to hit television scatter. You're seeing that now. Um, and going way back to when Netflix reported, we said that there were negative signs uh, for the consumer at that point, right? Because of the um, uh, where the weakness was in their subscriber base. So, you know, this is going to continue to play out and raising interest rates by 75 bips obviously isn't going to be helpful to uh, recessionary fears, but uh, apparently a necessary evil to curbing inflation. But on the flip side, we have a tweet from the same Brian Steinberg, uh, who writes W. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say WB Disco. Warner Bros. Discovery, U.S. ad sales chief John John Steinloff. Yeah, I don't know what disco is. I don't. I don't like disco. Well, Disco uh, Rich is a music um, popularized in the 1970s. I think Toto came right after disco. It's a music genre. You may have heard of the Bee Gees. Um, they were reflective of what disco is. So that's what disco is. Do you ever see Saturday Night Fever, Rich? Yes, I have. And Boogie yeah. Nights. Does Boogie Nights count? <laughs> you like that one. Next. Um, so <laughs> U.S. ad sales chief John Steinloff is asked about TV upfront 
during an investor conference after the NBCU, Paramount, and Fox commented yesterday. And the quote is, we never talk about the market when we're in the market, which to me is basically saying, we're not going to answer the question, but clearly, and that's why I sort of gave Jeff Shell a lot of credit for being very transparent and clearly answering the question and, and telling people what's actually going on versus the Warner Bros. discovery comment of we're just not going to talk about it when everyone knows what's happening. So um, credit to Jeff Shell, and we'll move on. Um, I want to stick on sort of something that you've been talking a lot about, Walter. Go ahead. Well, I think this the following tweets that we're going to profile here are you know the other side of what's happening with the economy now, which is the inflation. And these things are obviously interrelated. Uh, it comes at a time when, as we've talked about in this podcast before, that wireless service um, companies are struggling to find revenue growth. You know, subgrowth is 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 moderating. They've tried to get people onto streaming plans to go to higher rate plans. You know, we kind of we've talked about this and wrote about this recently. Like, is price were, were price hikes the end game here? And especially at a time when you know people are be be more willing to accept these things. And in fact, on Friday after our podcast. Um, Verizon snuck in a price hike, which I didn't even see until like Wednesday or Thursday. And specifically for people um, uh, on the shared data plans for single lines, they hiked it by six bucks per month. So we think this this represents probably 20 to 25% of the base. It generates an incremental $700 million of revenue on top of the um, $1.5 that they um, were able to generate as a result of the admin fee increase as well. And then on Monday, AT&T comes on um, at some conference. I forget which one it was. Uh, I think Mitchelson, who, by the way, very dull questioner. I mean, the guy's got to really step up his game, but whatever. Um, AT&T did a good job <laughs> despite Mitchelson's inability to ask follow-up questions. Um, so Bloomberg- Tell us um, how you really feel. How do you really feel yes. about it? Hey, man, well, that's. He, I, I think he was a little more explicit about how he felt the other day in a more Walt type way. Keep, keep it real here, man. Like, I, I mean, mean be, be yourself, Walt. I feel like you're sure. Keep it real right? on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, we're stuck on honest. these. We're stuck on so these. Nice. Jeff Shell. We are stuck on these calls, and it would be nice if our peers would step up their fucking game if they're going to ask these executives anyway. So, AT and T said. And this was the CFO saying facing higher costs than expected due to inflation may have to raise mobile service prices again. Why is that important or interesting? Because in early May, I think it was May 2nd, they, they increased prices to about 30% of their base, which generated for them an incremental $800 million of revenue. So clearly, we're you know a month and a half into this. They haven't seen probably absurd churn, although he did indicate the churn is probably going to tick up, but not enough. To say like, hey, we're going to fucking dial up some price increases again. I mean, that's clearly what what they're indicating. So you have the dominant operators here, Verizon and AT&T, increasing price. T-Mobile has less ability to do that because they promised the government that they wouldn't increase price. But sure as shit, dude, if like if T-Mobile hadn't promised the FCC, like they're already the the you know a price discounter. Um, this dude, is this is what's happening. To, you have to but, promise the government you're not going to increase price. What is this oil? Well, this was this was in order to get the sprint transaction done. Oh, so. to get the sprint transaction done. Okay, Correct. so there was a reason for it. But unlike the profit margins at the yeah, oil and not, gas companies, it was not that that Biden. Okay, yeah, it was not that. But I found, but it, that, I found that one interesting, considering 
the shellacking that those companies were taking when oil went to negative just what a year and a half ago i mean there's obviously other companies in communications industry comcast that has promised things to the doj that um maybe (laughs) they didn't didn't, deliver on just didn't follow through comcast um so it's it's possible that t-mobile could could do that but um jeff shell is a friend of the pot come on (laughs) (laughs) he's at nbc not comcast though Uh, parent company comcast by the way I want to apologize publicly for not knowing that CNET had been sold at a CBS. And I did notice that last tweet, the one that made absolutely no sense whatsoever, was a CNET tweet. We should probably just not use CNET as a source. We do have to congratulate CBS and now Paramount on selling it at a very good price. Because could you imagine what CNET would be worth today? Not the five hundred million they got for it. Mm, I think that's. I think that's what the many people <laughs> who um, reached out to us said. Whoops. Next. This is all you, Brandon. Oh boy, we got three here. All right, a little latency on the way. The Wall Street Journal, WWE's board is investigating a secret $3 million settlement that longtime CEO Vince McMahon reached with a former employee with whom he allegedly had an affair, according to documents and people familiar. My first reaction to this is to wonder to myself who Vince's best friend is. Isn't it Donald J. Trump? Next tweet from Brandon Thurston. Vince McMahon steps down as CEO and chairman until the conclusion of the board's investigation. He remains the head of creative. Stephanie McMahon is WWE interim CEO and chairwoman in the interim. And the third didn't, one didn't, is just hold on. Didn't she didn't didn't she leave yes. like a month or two yes. ago? So Steph, what the well, hell? So Steph had just left clearly. This is interesting because the big elephant in the room, as Rich likes to say, or in this case, maybe the, the gorilla. gorilla in the room, yeah. <laughs> since we're you know going on theme here, um, is that everyone's trying to figure out, is WWE going to sell itself, right? So when Steph stepped down on an, quote, interim basis, um, the question was, okay, is this like showing that she's not interested in taking over for Vince as the secession plan. And does that put WWE in play? And as Vince has this little problem and is being investigated by the board, every client investor is calling and asking, does this put WWE in play? Additionally, we have heard coming out of other meetings that investors have had in the last couple of weeks that there are other media industry executives saying that WWE is dressing up to sell. My answer on whether or not they're selling is I think there are people within the company that would love to see it sold, but I am not convinced that the McMahon family is there yet at this point. Um, Only they would know the answer. I will say though that any potential trouble that Vince is in, there is board optionality if it's bad enough. And it doesn't seem like this would 
you know, warrant that, but we'll see what the investigation um, kind of uh, see what the results are as it runs its course. But the board, I think, could take um, action to strip uh, Vince of his. Uh, so, can I ask you a question, Brandon? If, 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 in fact, this yeah. could be driving the decision of the sale, then why is it that, like, if this is such a controversial thing, why is it that he's, isn't he going on SmackDown like in the next day or two? I don't, I don't understand. Well, okay. So yeah, well, Friday, when you, when you tonight, wanna, tonight right. he'll be on SmackDown. Tonight, tonight eight by the way, so he this also is, remains head of creative, right? So, right, but my point is that if this is, if this, if he's so controversial to the point where they want to sell the company, like why is he appearing in public? Well, he's probably going on to, to address what this whole thing on SmackDown tonight. That's oh, okay. probably why he's going on. And he remains the head of creative, which shows that Vince is fully invested still in this being his baby and isn't really looking to step aside. So you think the he's going to address this is, tonight on SmackDown? I, I would bet. It. Okay. I, why else would he be appearing on SmackDown? I can't wait. This could be the first time ever. This could be the first time ever that I actually watch SmackDown. This is must-see <laughs> TV, right? Oh, I'm, I'm tuning yeah. in. This is definitely yeah, I mean, must-see TV. By the way, he did fight a little bit in WrestleMania um, this year at the end of the second night of WrestleMania. <laughs> that was good. Well, that uh, what's now become a meme event. Um, but what? No, we'll, we'll see what happens. The other question is, and we've discussed this a couple of times, is there a buyer for WWE if they decide to sell? The natural buyer is obviously Comcast, NBCU. Um, I remain pretty skeptical that they are interested in buying this asset at the present time, despite the fact that they are so invested in it, um, having all of the pay-per-view rights, what was the WWE Network now on Peacock, as well as Raw, as well as other programming that's related. Hold, hold on. Let's just step back. UFC was sold, I forget how many years ago now, for, I think, $4.2 billion. At I the time, 4. we thought that was whatever, so, yeah. something like that. But Doesn't matter. It was, I think it was sort right. of perceived as a crazy price back then. Now, obviously, it sounds like an incredible price that um, Endeavor has made a tr- and Ari Emanuel have made a tremendous return or going over the next X number of years can make a tremendous return on owning the actual league or owning the actual content is what everybody wants to do now. And we've talked, even yeah. Reed Hastings has talked about if you could actually own the own actual the league. league oh, I agree with that, Rich. I, I agree with you. I think it's a no brainer personally for NBCU to own this asset. That's what I'm my question at. is does Brian want to own the asset. And what I have heard is, and this could be wrong, of course, is that the answer to that question as of now is no. Well, that's all. I actually think we're going we're gonna to call a little bit of an audible right now, because I think the topic of Brian and what's happening in his core business is pretty relevant. Walter, you. Oh, fuck. There we go. Wow. That's a hell of an intro. Yeah. Um, so rich. You know, the other thing that the other thematic in um, our little um, brief intermissions to our media podcast <laughs> on comms is the challenges that the cable industry faces as a result of fiber overbuilds and also wireless broadband. And um, earlier this week, um, CFO for Charter, Jessica Fisher, 
in, you know, there was a basically a, some back and forth. The bottom line is they're barely going to add broadband sub ads this quarter. She talked about in part the 60 or 70,000 subs that had signed off because they were getting subsidies from the government. But really, you know, when you kind of parsed all her words, you know, the net ads have imploded. So, so if they're doing like zero or 20,000 of residential broadband net ads this year, let's skip over the last two years from the pandemic. They were, they were, should have been adding like 200 or 220,000 net ads. And that's the, that's the point, right? The point is, is like a number, whether it's 20,000 or even if you adjust it to 60 or 70,000, you know, we're removing some of these, they're making the adjustments they want you to make. It's still a horrible number. So it's not just wireless though, it's, it's fiber. And like, again, we focus on the fiber overbuilds, but we forgot that there are existing fiber players in the market. And in this case, it's Verizon and Verizon took a shot at the cable industry this year. Obviously this is more of an Altice issue than it is a charter issue. And saying that if you had an unlimited, the highest tier unlimited rate plan for Verizon, that you could get broadband for 25 bucks. So here's what I think happens in this situation. First of all, like any promotion, you've got one or two quarters where there's a latent market and you saturate that market. So I think Altice is going to be facing some tough quarters ahead of them for the next couple of quarters. The reality is, though, what, what Verizon really did was, you know, if you weren't on Unlimited, if you weren't bundling, then your prices are going to go up for, for the entry level. It went from like 40 to 50 on that 300 meg down plan, which is the, the most common plan. Secondly, I think if you looked at like what Altice offers you, you know, in terms of if you got wireless from them on a bundle, you know, versus what Verizon does, Altice is still cheaper. So this is like how bundling works, right? You have that flashy, shiny headline $25 broadband. But in order to do that, you, the Verizon customer, have to upgrade to the highest tier unlimited plan, which is costing you more. So net net, you're still probably spending more than you would on Altice. So Altice can still come as the, you know, the whatever, the cheaper guy. And, you know, Altice's plan is to invest in fiber. So at the end of the day, like it's, again, I think this will be a successful promotion for Verizon. This will hurt Altice in the near term, but ultimately the trend here is bundling. We are turning into Europe, fixed wireless bundling. And the question is like, you know, what are the assets out there and, and who can work together in order to provide those types of services? It's also interesting because the and video how they service, work sure, but, Correct. But, the, but the video service was a big part of that bundle for a long time. And no one is talking about the video service anymore. Like the whole video part of Altice. Right. Your point is that they could have offered $10 for your video. And that was, a, no one gives a shit about video. Right. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's not even part of the conversation. Well, I think what anymore. might happen though is this this it will be the streaming services will, well, will it's be not nobody, longer. by the way. Right. No, <laughs> right. You're right. You're right. There's probably 20 to 30 percent of the market that still cares very much about the set-top box. But I but I would say that the new bundle at some point is streaming will be a part of that. Like yeah, the okay, new, new bundle, I call it. the new new bundle, it'll be streaming and you'll get some discount on someone that's willing to bundle. And look, what is Verizon doing? Again, plus play. I know you guys it's, like to laugh at me about that, but that's going to be a bundle. I, maybe no, we're not, offer. By the way, we don't, we we don't, don't laugh, laugh at all. You. We are not laughing. No, no, at you laugh you at me that I bring it up. All. No one's talking about it. Like, the, the, well, it doesn't exist question, yet. The well, it question exist. really okay. is. But, but our job is to look forward, not what's right in front of our face. Right? Totally. 
and look, no one's talking about forward. plus play and and the things that will spring out of plus play like replicant um yeah walter my question is has the bundling of telco services and streaming been a benefit so far to either the streaming players or the telcos i think the the biggest you know the one that there's two that we could really look to right as being like more tenured one is Miss netflix and the other is what HBO did with AT&T. What's the evidence from either of those that those relationships bore fruit? So I'm going to I'm going to answer a different way. The third one you didn't mention was Verizon and Disney Plus. And I think both of those right. part both of those later part, but yes. Right. So but both of those partners have indicated and we saw it in terms of Verizon's ability to increase ARPU and get people on higher rate plan for a period of time. Which again, like just like I said with LTS, any promotion, you've got typically two quarters of people that you saturate. Even if you go back to T-Mobile's original uncarrier, where they said we're going to pay for your early termination fees, this was the turning point for T-Mobile, and it drove huge growth for them. But really, the people taking advantage of that offer occurred within the first two to three quarters. If you ask T-Mobile, the number of people like yeah. getting their termination fees paid, like three to four quarters in. That wasn't a big driver. They had to come up with something else. In the case of T-Mobile and Netflix, I'm not sure what the benefit is because T-Mobile wasn't moving up people up to higher rate plans. I don't think, uh, again, I don't want to speak for Netflix. I'm not sure that that was a huge win for Yeah, Netflix. that was my question. Was Netflix happy with the relationship? I think T-Mobile will tell you that it improved churn, but I'm not, <laughs> I think, I think let, let's put that in the category of cable saying, that this was is, rhetorical. But. This is this is our <laughs> this is a record load churn, something that they don't report. There's no way. To, and in terms of AT and T, I'm not sure if you knew this, yeah. But AT and T uh-huh. just, just yanked HBO Max from its highest well, highest tier rate plan, so it's clearly did, not working. I actually anymore. did know that. Uh, it was so, a setup then. Got it. Yeah, this whole thing was a setup. It always is, right? <laughs> so basically, the point that I was trying to make is these two relationships weren't rousing successes. So to to think that the future of streaming is being bundled into telecom, there is no evidence to indicate that that's the that that's the truth. Yeah, beyond that a couple, helped. beyond a couple. I, I hear you, and this is the age old debate, um, and it's beyond a couple of quarters of of juice. Um, but you're right; it, it's you know it's debatable whether. That's why I think it's fair to be skeptical about plus play. That's I all. mean, I mean, the other thing about bundling is. It's effectively hiding from investors that you're cutting price. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Right? You know, they're gonna say, like, oh, this over here and this over here, but at the end of the day, like, are you gonna are you gonna be able to deliver? It it actually brings up one one last point on this. Hold on, let's one last point. Walter, if you were sitting in Altice's shoes, what do you do? Well, they're doing they're they're doing what they need to do, I think which is you got to think five years down the road and invest in fiber and say the ultimate delineator, the ultimate winner in your market. And look, it sucks in the New York markets because they're going up against Verizon. Um, Like, and maybe since Verizon doesn't do shit on video, maybe they try and do something with video, but like they've got the sudden link properties. So I think their investment in, if you can separate those assets, right. And always was that with Altice, right? Because you had the very overbuilt market in the former cable vision markets versus the sudden link markets where there were no competition. Yeah. But so I will I, say I, this I, about Altice. Go back to when 
you know, they had their U.S. listing. The one thing that they've always been clear on was that they believed in building out fiber and that they had to make the investment for the future. And Charter said, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. And their profits looked a lot better. And at the the end of the day, pick a year, 10 years out, 15 years out, like the ultimate internet connection is going to be fiber to your home. I have one two word expression for you. High split. Oh, God. (laughs) I think I next. think I split. No, no, that's the version of next. I, I think Charter's new CFO. <laughs> she had a different word for it. It still had split. She dropped the high, and there's some other type of split. But anytime good luck, sp- high split. Good luck, high split is our new hashtag. Good luck. We'll see. And by the way, <clears throat> that speaks to wireless and like the longevity of like how long can Verizon or T-Mobile penetrate? There's a market for that at the low end, but ultimately. You know, look, the internet is a utility, and it, you know it's you it's it is necessary for your for your connectivity. Your cell phone bill is your number one bill. That's the most important bill in anyone's life. Home broadband is number two. Netflix is probably what number twelve. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Sorry. Here so we go. Shifting gears, shifting gears to India. Uh, something that we really never expected. You know, Disney's been bidding pretty aggressively. We've talked about it on the podcast before for cricket rights, the IPL, which is the big cricket rights in India. Well, they're we assumed, right, they, they, the Fox owned the rights. So when they bought Fox, they got Star TV and they obviously got then the IPL rights that went along with that uh, for the prior five-year contract. And there was a number of scenarios. Disney buys digital because broadcast and digital or streaming were separated for the first time. Historically, they were always combined. So Disney owned all digital and all broadcast rights on television, this time two separate packages. We assumed either Disney would buy both, buy the streaming only, um, or buy neither. The one thing we never actually assumed is that Disney would only buy the linear broadcast TV rights. And as Anna Nicola from the FT writes, strange twist, Disney won the rights to air cricket on television, but not to stream it on Disney+. Plus. Viacom 18, and Viacom 18 is a joint venture Paramount, uh, the old Viacom, owns 49%. Uh, Reliance, which is Geo, the big mobile platform in India. Uh, James Murdoch and Uday Senkar, uh, who's a former head of Hotstar, Star TV, uh, own um, Viacom 18. They won the streaming rights. So Disney Plus subscribers in India, meaning cricket fans, currently make up more than one third of Disney Plus's global subscriber base. And, and what's and what's the ARPU on that? Those, about those... 78 cents. All right, let's... <laughs> But, but but here's what's really interesting, because I want to just highlight, the. we have another picture on here from another article, Viacom 18 Geo to offer unmatched reach and ad opportunities for IPL. So just for a second, step back and think. Before, the only way you could reach consumers was to go to Disney and advertise on whether Star TV or whether on Hotstar. Now you can either choose to be on linear television or you can go advertise on the geo, which is connected TV and mobile throughout the whole country. Which of those two sounds more compelling? And I think the, the thing is, is that ad rates are going to be really pressured on TV. Usage on TV is going to be really pressured. So it's like, it, it almost feels to me like Disney just bought, uh, sorry, it almost feels like Disney bought the linear TV rights, just as you're seeing the seminal moment when consumers move even faster from linear to digital. So it's just a bizarre In outcome for Disney. In India, like it just seems bizarre. Like it's being, it's, I, I've thought about it like it's being TNT the day that ESPN decides to go direct to consumer. 
Now, the question is, did they just spreadsheet this whole thing and put a value on the on what they thought the rights were worth? And they see that as not being a loss leader in India or believe that there's going to be, you know, enough linear television there for a long time that it was worth staying in the game there. Look, I think this is an amazing move by Viacom 18. I think Paramount's going to clearly make this is going to be a big deal for Paramount Global. I mean, it's a small asset overall in the scheme of the company. Do you think but they this overpaid looks, or no? I think this is you're going to. I think you're going to transform India, and you're going to invest in content. Like you are, I think they're going to crush. I think the plan is. I mean, think about it. You got Uday, who used to be at Star, yeah. and James Murdoch. Now they sold their company to Disney. Now they're basically going after Disney with streaming taking on linear. Like this feels like a really, and you, you've got the biggest mobile platform in India yeah, in Reliance Geo. Geo. Like good luck to the linear piece of this. Like I think this is their out to literally take over in India. I, maybe they overpaid in the short term well, over for, a five-year time frame. Right. You're, you're saying it, it, it was an important loss lead decision to establish that brand in India and the fact that they have Reliance Geo behind them, this will bring us full circle to the last discussion. You will have that bundling ability with wireless, right? And also with wireless, you know, everyone has to pay their bill or probably prepay every month for that. So in the process, you could prepay for this content and you don't need a separate billing relationship at all. I mean, I don't know India well. Is what I'm is what I'm saying makes sense? Whereas Absolutely. they Reliance can really help explode that platform. I I think this is going to look very smart for you know. Yes, it's a huge price. I'm sure Disney's doing the math and saying like, look, I get the math on it, and it was yeah. Too maybe the price doesn't hard. work for them. I mean, this is the big question, right? Because not everyone has the exact same calculus. If you're low penetration, sometimes it makes sense to use something like that as a marketing tool to build your penetration and take off. Okay. But Disney bought Fox for what reason? Like we thought it was to get star, but now star is getting crushed. We thought it was for the, you know, some of the movie and TV studio and that hasn't really put out anything. Oh, meaningful. Yeah. That like, buys you, like what did you, you know, just it, like the reasons for the Fox acquisition look it. Dude, that's Avatar literally what it, it, it just comes down to Avatar at this point and and Hulu. Right. And to yeah, be fair, they, they probably takes which you think that they should sell off anyway. I do. Uh, let's but, move and, on. I, I know this is your favorite news organization, Brandon Oh, my Ross. God. Again. So why don't you read it? So why don't you read it? Because it's your favorite news organization. Mark, do you this is a real question. I'd like it if you messaged me the answer. Do you follow CNET News on Twitter? Because this is this is like this is like he says Joe I Joe. don't. This is amazing. Well, clearly he he he's looking for the topics and the algo. Probably, the algo is. But we, is but we know it's Mark. We know it's Mark doing this because if it was Joe, this would be a tweet from Yahoo so, Finance. No, C, CNET gets preferred placement from Google. That's it. That's what we uncovered on this podcast, or from Twitter. Okay. Elon Musk reportedly tells Twitter employees he wants 1 billion users. <laughs> users. <laughs> uh, 
Well, and and a bunch of other stuff that kind of came out of um, his visit with uh, uh, Twitter employees. Yes, I actually thought he was very. I read the whole transcript um, that was reported uh, from the meeting, and and Elon. I mean, first of all, he sounded really coherent in how he's thinking about the company. You know, he really what? did. Like, I give coherent. What the hell? Wow. Well, I think is that what the bar is? <laughs> What I mean by that is, you know, we've sort of seen some comments, maybe advertising isn't the right approach. Like he was very clear. Advertising has an important place on Twitter. The subscription product can get bigger. Like he just he seemed to truly understand and have a real monetization strategy, a better plan to remove bots, like in terms of using the Twitter blue and the verification product. You don't need to change. Like you could still have an anonymous username, but you'll get a blue check mark to basically get rid of bots because you'll have to have some form of payment verification that you're an actual human and not a bot. So like just the way he was thinking about some of the problems that Twitter faces, I thought were really interesting. I guess all their followers in India are gone. <laughs> I do think that there will be a chunk of followers that disappears from all of us. I'll be curious. I think I'm 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 nearing fifty thousand. I wonder what that number becomes if you remove I, all bots. I was just spam. I was just tying it to the I was just tying it to the payments conversation. No, I know it'll be interesting to see. But that, look, all of this did for me is make me think Walt is continuing to be spot on. He is clearly wants to buy this company, and fifty four twenty. With the stock trading, I'm looking at my screen right now. Twitter is trading 37.41. Well, just to be uh, clear, Rich, it's not me. Does he want to buy it, or does he have to? Right. Well, and it's also not me that's predicting it. Those are two time. different things. I'm just, I'm just a vessel for Scott Galloway saying that he's going to walk away, and it's not going to get done. <laughs> so. I just look um, for great indicators for transactions, and that's a good one. Well, we look forward yeah. to this. Deal to be closing. clear, Walt never said that Elon wants to buy the company for $54.20. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, I, I thought the price was going to come down, and it might still. So so technically, I would not be correct if this thing got done at 54 because that's well, what it would get. But, we, we, but look, all of us have, have been on the side of thinking that this gets done for whatever reason, because maybe we believe in law and, and uh, you know, and yeah. being a nation of laws and courts, the rule of law, the rule of law. Um, so we'll just have to see how play. And look, I think, you know, we mentioned before in the podcast, I think we've been met with a lot of skepticism within our, within the investment world, but we'll see, we'll see how that turns out. Well, I think one of the interesting things that was said, um, I'm just pulling a quote that I wrote down um, from Elon, while we're talking about TikTok last night, and TikTok obviously does a great job of making sure you're not bored. I mean, it's just like ADD, but like next level. But TikTok does a great job of making you not bored. And Twitter, basically, he's saying, has to sort of create that ADD, make it more fun and less boring. I mean, it's, they're completely different use cases. One of them is for information and conversation, and the other is for lean back entertainment. So I'm not exactly, you know. Well, he he compared. You don't it to want WeChat. to mix apples and oranges here. Well, he, he 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 wants to make this more like WeChat. He wants to make this the thing you use for everything. He wants you to not upload to YouTube. He wants you to upload to Twitter. Okay, good luck with that. But Next. isn't that isn't that like saying, I'm about to buy the Jets and saying like, oh, I think we should really be like the Patriots. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. I, I think we should yes. hire a coach yes. like Bill okay. Belichick. You, I mean, you can say a lot of things like, <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, I'm going to, well, I'm going to audible because everybody seems like they want to be like TikTok, which I think is sort of an interesting theme. Um, we have Alex Heath who writes, I've got internal documents and interviewed the head of Facebook, the Facebook blue uh, about how the app is going to become more like TikTok. The feed will increasingly show posts from accounts you don't follow a big departure from how it currently works that and more here, but basically it's going to become a feed of, of short videos and you know, your kind of traditional newsfeed feels like it's going to literally evaporate from Facebook and it's going to transform into TikTok. Thoughts, Not friends? necessarily. I, I think what he's talking to here is the AI and the recommendation engine being more paramount than the follower graph. That's That's what he's talking about. And it's something that I don't know if myself and Mark were in tests on Instagram, but it's been several months at this point where we're seeing other accounts dominate our feed. And we both, uh, not to speak for Mark, but we have discussed this. We both said that we actually really like that, that there's a lot of content that we didn't even know was out there that we're really enjoying. And the amount of accounts that we've been following has increased a lot. And from my perspective, it's taken a lot of the staleness out of my Instagram feed. It was always the same, you know, crap in the feed from the same. But you people. haven't, just to be clear, to be clear, you haven't seen that in Facebook at all. I don't spend any time on Facebook. The only thing I use on Facebook is the birthday app. Or if I like sadly know someone passed away, usually the funeral information's there. So, so here's the question. Is this going, is making this change going to help reinvigorate Facebook Blue? I don't know because my guess is to the extent it reinvigorates Instagram, it should probably have the same effect on Blue. But I think that my follower graph, those, those who I'm interested in their content, post much more to Instagram than blue. I know that in certain international markets, blue is still very big. I know under for certain demos, blue is still very big. So I, I think it could be helpful in reinvigorating blue among those people. Friend of uh, our podcast or friend of Lightshed, Jeff Knightley, Brennan? Well, that's Niley. not how you pronounce is it, his name. Is it Niley? How do I spell? Um, how do I say but, his name? Kylie? How do I say his name? Keely, I believe. Keely. Keely. Sorry. Go ahead. I mean, we do talk to him here and there, so we should know how to so say. So I should. I should know how to. I'm not sure if name. I'm right, even. <laughs> He's just Jeff. Anyway, Overwatch Two is a free to play. Is free to play and coming this October. Um, if you looked at the kind of financials the forward-looking financials that Activision put out there in their proxy filing, you could basically see that Overwatch 2 is coming, you know, with this Q4 and that Diablo was coming next year. And it's kind of like held true to form. We've been saying that Overwatch was going to be free to play for like three years. It's just a matter of execution. Those who we've read about that have been in the beta for Overwatch say it's not very good. Um, meanwhile, on the Diablo side, Diablo Immortal has been surprisingly um, good content. So a little bifurcation among the Blizzard set. Good to see that they're actually getting content out, although presumably they're sold. So 
it's Microsoft's benefit. Yeah. Walt. Uh, Rich, this is a tweet from Light Reading, um, basically referencing that Dish's 5G wireless network is now available to over 20% of the U.S., more than 120 cities. Um, our friends over at Dish had a deadline with the FCC where they had to build out a certain number of markets that covered 20% of the population by June 14th or 15th, doesn't matter. But so rather than doing it like a day or two before, they did it literally at the deadline. Um, of launching these markets. And then Verge, you know, which is home of the place that said the internet was going to crash because of net neutrality, um, had a very <laughs> snarky piece about Dish um, saying it was very difficult to sign up. So what, what's happening here? A, deadline met. That's fine. They'll make a filing. Next deadline is a year from now where they'll have 70% of the population. I don't look, I don't think it was intentional that the systems are difficult to use, but I don't really think at the moment Dish wants to add a lot of subs. Why? Because the phone that you would buy today doesn't have all of their spectrum band. So if like if Dish started loading their network with the existing phones that are out there, whether it's an iPhone or anything else, at some point they'd have to come back and replace it until this extra spectrum is in there. When is that extra spectrum coming coming into phones? Probably September timeframe. So I would guess that. As you approach the end of the year, you'll see a little bit more activity from Dish. I wouldn't think that you're going to see tons of markets launch from here. I think at the end of the day, this thing really is going to be more commercial. Next and this will year. be tied to the iPhone launch. You think when we start to hear more no, about this? No, I don't think it'll be tied to the iPhone. It could be, but I don't. I don't think that the iPhone is going to have ban this additional spectrum in it. I think that's probably a next year event. But there'll be Samsung phones. I mean, never say never. That would be a massive win from Dish if Band 70 was in the iPhone, but I think it's very low probability of that for this year. Next year, maybe. Um, but but they'll have other uh, Samsung phones. The bigger issue here for Dish, again, is they need to get some fucking enterprise contracts announced and to exploit the work that they're doing with Amazon and give people more tangible um, ideas on why their network is better because people can develop on it. And in the meantime, like Verge and others that are going to slam them, they're going to get their phones and they're going to want to slam it. But like, you know, it roams onto AT and T. <laughs> I had, there was a there was a guy that was like battling me on Twitter. He's like, "Oh, the true test is going to be like when I take it to a campsite and I have to make a nine one one call. Will the dish phone work?" I'm like, "Well, if your AT and T phone works, then yeah, the dish phone is going to work. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, so, I th you know, I <laughs> I think um, in this case, it's a lot of noise." And if there was some expectation that this launch was going to mean a flood of consumer subscribers, you should no one should have been expecting that for the reasons I just mentioned. We've got um, two tweets here related to Roku, which has been subject of takeover speculation that we didn't sort of believe. But let's start with the first one. The um, CNET one? Ad Age. Oh. No, this is from Ad, ad Age. <laughs> Walmart has reached an exclusive agreement letting viewers use their Roku remotes and stored payment information to buy products directly from the retailer's ads on the platform. What's interesting is we're, we're wondering, this is sort of a big press release um, from Roku, and obviously Walmart's a very important partner for Roku in terms of selling their, their TVs or the you know, where Roku is the embedded um, OS, TV OS on, um, on TCL televisions. 
what we're wondering is maybe this is why employees were blocked out from selling stock a week and a half ago. Remember the trading window closed and everyone was like, trading window closed, that means they're for sale. And then people started writing Netflix is buying Roku. And it, it what what is sort of comical about that is then there's an also an article this week, earlier in the week from The Information saying exclusive. Netflix is considering tapping companies such as Roku and Comcast. Comcast owns Freewheel, an ad-serving company, for help with its work coming ad-supported tier of service. And obviously, working with companies and multiple companies as, as third parties is very different than spending tens of billions of dollars to make an acquisition of a company that didn't really make sure it would be, for Netflix. I don't know if that would be plural anymore, <laughs> Well, it, do agree. Do agree with you. Um, on well, that you know, hold on. What do you think Roku's market cap is right now, Brandon? I was going to guess twelve. Um, Roku is a today eleven billion dollar market cap. Eleven. All right, a little less than. Rich, do you know dollar. why I know that Netflix is not going to be buying Roku? Oh God, no! It's because. Once again, Scott Galloway has predicted that, in fact, Netflix will be buying Roku with certainty. Maybe I misheard that, but yes, I'm pretty sure that's what he meant. By the way, someone, you're going to love this, Walt. Someone recently told me that the only two podcasts that they listen to at all are Smartless and and Pivot. And Pivot. (laughs) I do. Enjoy, and Scott Galloway, I think yeah. Kara does a great job, and and she's, um, you know, she just in, she just interviewed what's his face, one of the A sixteen guys. So she's doing that stuff on her own Chris now. Dixon. With, uh, she did Chris, Chris Dixon. Dixon. Yeah, I thought that was. And by the way, like I gotta say, like I was going in waiting to like be able to dump on Chris Dixon on the podcast. I think that he he came off really well. I mean, yes, he did he's, slam, but his he's tweets. Part of, shit. of course he is, but but the the. You know, based on some of the tweets that a lot of these guys put out there, um, I was expecting something different. A very thoughtful um, interview with Ken. And Kara does a great job, um, I think, in, in interviewing people. So, Brandon, Roblox. Um, this one is from CNET. Minus seven. <laughs> <laughs> this one is from CNET. <laughs> From streetinsider.com, minus 7%, dot, 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 Roblox announces May daily active users were 50.4 million, up 17% year over year. This monthly report from Roblox actually concerned me. It wasn't the, the bookings number, which came in a little, like the, the street bar based on data services, credit card data, M signs, whatever it may be was about 200 for this quarter. They came in 196 to 199 on the range, slightly below that. Um, The thing that concerned me was this DAU number. It's been kind of now in decline for the last bunch of months. Um, It had been the thing that was outperforming. I think a lot of that was on explosive international growth, which it seems has started to really decelerate now. Um, And so while you're up 17% year over year, the sequential is not amazing. And we'll see what this summer brings because there is a heavy expectation um, from myself included that seasonality is going to kick in 
um, at the you know middle to end of June and certainly in July and August when school is out and that DAU is going to come up pretty significantly and that especially since you're lapping reopening now in the U.S., you're going to see year-over-year growth in bookings also accelerate. This is a kind of, we are long-term thinkers on this, but this is a bit of a moment of truth for the stock. I was actually surprised that the stock was up a lot on this print. I think that was probably much more macro as well, ARC had been up a lot. Um, you don't, you don't think people, you, you don't think people were even more concerned that it was going to be worse than that? I don't think, so. I, I don't think so. Now, the company really did telegraph that May wasn't going to be great in yep. meetings with us, meetings with other investors and brokers. Um, but I, I think people were like, okay, on the bookings, that 196 to 199, because there was a little extra FX. So it was in line with those lowered expectations. But I was looking at that DAU number, and I personally was a little bit concerned about it. So I'm just going to leave it there. We'll take a wait and see on what happens for June and July, which we should find out when the company reports its Q2 earnings. So a little bit of synergy here. We've got Discovery Plus in an email from uh, H or basically to HBO Max subscribers, an email saying, would you like to get Discovery Plus for 99 cents a month for four months for the ad supported version or $3.99 a month for four months for uh, the ad free version? But what, that isn't what is shocking or surprising. It was the for the fans of HBO dramas, we have 90 Day Fiance on TLC. And it's funny, I'm taking a lot of abuse on Twitter over the last 24 hours for attacking this um, this email. And the, the, the you know folks like Matt Ball are saying, you know, bundling is important. You want to bundle things that are not the same. And I 100% agree that, you know, you want to show the diversity of a service. And the reason we love HBO Max as a service is it's a lot broader than just HBO Max dramas like Game of Thrones. It was more of comparing the the drama of 90 Day Fiance to HBO dramas like, like you know, uh, Game of Thrones and Westworld seemed like a bizarre <laughs> marketing message to me. It was, it's it would have been said like, yeah, like it just was like, okay, we have, it's one thing to say we have a lot more content than Game of Thrones and here are other things. And remember, this isn't even bundled in. You have to go take a separate subscription to Discovery Plus. They're not bundled in yet, but it was just the, it was the wording and the messaging that I really hated more than anything else. And it just seemed like out of context, especially for, or not understanding how you should market or how you should position um, the quote unquote bundle. Um, yeah. I thought it was tongue in cheek when I first read it. Like you thought it was literally a joke. That's yeah. That's how, how bad that ad is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, un unfortunately, I don't think it was. Um, we, we got um, Snapchat, Brandon, you want to read it? Sure. This is from Matt Navarra. Snap is working on a paid subscription called Snapchat Plus. Um, so, and this is from someone else, uh, Alessandro Paluzzi. So by subscribing to Snapchat Plus, you can one, pin a friend as number one BFF, get access to exclusive Snapchat icons, display a badge in your profile, see your obit with BFF 
I don't know what that means. See your friends' whereabouts in the last 24 hours and see how many friends have rewatched your story. I mean, I think subscription on these um, social and communications networks are low-hanging fruit. You're going to get a certain percentage of people who are going to subscribe no matter what if they're on the platform all the time. We are, you know, uh, we subscribe to Twitter Blue. Um, Discord has had really good conversion um, into their subscription product. Uh, we've seen it a number of times um, with video games who have added subscription products. Uh, it's it's extra revenue. That's it. It seems I, like a I very can't smart find fault. Yeah. Which brings us to our final slide from oh, Bloomberg. Space. And I think. I think it's appropriate. We started with Toto in Africa. We've we've talked about the gorillas and the apes and the AMC apes, which are feeling some pain in this risk-off sell-off or meme-off sell-off or whatever you want to call this type of company. Anyway, these AMC apes have rejected the company's proposal, um, the proposed executive pay plan at its annual meeting on Thursday. Wah-wah. So Adam Aaron, I guess, is not going to get paid, what, $19 million in cash. I found it interesting, Rich, that they also um, were, were uh, going to spend $100 million to invest in other companies. They were, right? I mean, sort of. I mean, they, they, remember, they bought an oil and gas company. Or sorry, a mining, mining, mining company. Gold mining or Bitcoin mining? Um, I think it was, uh, you know, actual mining. Like, was it iron or gold? I forget what it was, but silver or something. I don't even remember. But they literally bought a mining company. Apparently the lawsuits have started um, for some people over the doge. We'll see how this one plays out. We'll see. You know, it's just sort of amazing that, you know, we haven't heard from trade trades in quite a long time, Brandon. It's been uh, pretty quiet on the AMC front. What are we listening to, Brandon? This is the Undertaker music. Isn't it not appropriate for so many Why? reasons? For so many reasons right now. Oh, wait a minute. I need. I, I want to make a prediction. I want to make a prediction. There's headlines okay. right now about how Verizon is going to start um, lifting the limitations of the 5G around the airports. So here's my prediction. July, okay. four, July 4th weekend, that travel is going to be a nightmare. And those those shitty airlines that get bailed out and then gouge the consumer are going to blame the telecom industry because of five G for the, all the delays that are coming. You see the New York so Post article. You're basically no. saying don't travel on New Year's Eve. I, sorry, I don't think July travel 4th. for for the foreseeable future. Oh, sorry, Brandon, you're in Africa. Good luck getting home. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too concerned about that. Why? I'm much more concerned Africa? with my my PCR test tomorrow so that I can see these monkeys. How are you feeling? You feeling okay? I feel great. I'm just, I've had nonstop anxiety about all these COVID tests that you need to be in this country and especially to trek with the gorillas. Well, we promised to get you out of this podcast by noon Eastern, so we've succeeded. So we may have to go enjoy the rest of your trip. We may have to blur out that gorilla on the behind Brandon. That's a little obscene. <laughs> well, how, why is that obscene? That's episode 111, everyone. Have a great weekend. Oh, it's one at a time. Oh, like this?